Lord, we love you and we desire to love you more. So stir our hearts to know you, believe you today. To be transformed a little bit more into your image today. And so, Father, we come to you and we ask, would you teach us the Bible? Would you teach us what you want us to learn in this time together? Father, I praise you for what you're doing. Thank you for uh, examples of, of individuals who were raised from young people into adulthood in this church family who, who love you and want to sing a song of praise and lead others to do the same. Lord, we thank you for that. What a great picture that was for us today. And Lord, I pray you would just stir us to, to know you and love you in a way that would want others to know and love you as well. So God, would you stir people you want to be a part of that deaf class, the sign language class? Father, I pray that you'd stir a love in our hearts for people who may not be exactly like us, but who are exactly like us and that they need Jesus. Lord, I just pray that your will would be done in that. This is a mission you desire. This is a mission you have planned. And so may your plans come to, faith, to fruition in this. And Lord, I pray not only for ourselves, but I ask you, Lord, for the churches of this community to know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus. Lord, specifically, I pray for Sandy Robertson and I ask you to fill him with the knowledge of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. And may the people of God at New Covenant Fellowship know and love the one and only person that died to give us life, Jesus himself. Lord, it's in the name of Jesus that we all make this prayer and all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11. This morning, we're beginning a new series on Hebrews 11. Many of you are familiar with this chapter. It's known as the the faith chapter. Some people refer to it as the hall of faith. It's a a chapter that's filled with 20-something stories of real people who lived real lives, and they had real faith in a very real God. And so over the next eight or nine weeks, we're going to be traveling through this part of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to just look at these real people and their stories and see what real faith looks like and see those parallels that exist for all of our lives. And and as we're jumping into the book of Hebrews, I just want to give you an idea of where we are in relationship to the teaching of the book of Hebrews. You might remember from last week, I shared with you that the book of Hebrews has one primary theme and it's that Jesus is better And what's he better than? He's better than everything else, right? Jesus is better. He's just the best. There's no one like him, we sing. And Jesus in the book of Hebrews is shown to be better than all that came before him concerning the people of God. So Jesus was better. He is better than the angels or the prophets. He's better than Moses. Jesus as a priest on our behalf is better than all of the earthly and human priests that came before him. Jesus as a sacrifice, we saw this last week, Jesus as a sacrifice is better than every other sacrifice that had ever been made. And the blessings that come from the covenant The agreement that Jesus gives to us are better. His new covenant is better than the old covenant. And the blessings of God for our lives through Jesus are better than we could ever imagine. But one of the themes 
that comes alongside that idea of Jesus being better, and you see this over and again throughout the book of Hebrews, is that the blessings of God are realized in our life through faith. Now, not, not just what we would call faith or not just some word that we say or some prayer that we repeat, but genuine, authentic, saving, persevering faith is the only thing that allows the, the blessings of God for us in Jesus to be realized in our life. And, and in that way then, in that way, what we find is that faith is supremely important. The most important things you guys are gonna think about this very day have nothing to do with the Super Bowl. All right? Even if you're a Patriots fan, or like everyone else in the world, not a Patriots fan, (laughs) most important things in your life today are all matters of faith. The most important things you'll talk about or think about or do this week, all at the very foundation of them, are matters of faith. Faith is supremely important, so much so. But look at chapter 10, verse 39. We'll kind of jump in this way. He ends, he summarizes the teaching of the book of Hebrews to this point by saying this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. And he's talking not just about momentary destruction, he's talking about eternal destruction. He says, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. He says, but of those who have faith, and preserve their souls. And there he's not just talking about momentary preservation. He's talking about eternal preservation. He says, this matter of faith is so important that actually the eternal destruction of your soul or the eternal preservation of your soul are a matter of faith. Real faith that pleases God and blesses us. And because that is so critical, that eternal destruction or eternal preservation hinges on this matter of faith. God, through the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, includes Hebrews 11. The, The author moves into this passage to let us know what faith is and what faith looks like, okay? So this journey that we'll be on in Hebrews 11, it's the culmination that all the blessings of God come to us or realized in our life through faith in Jesus. And faith in Jesus then is the most critical thing about anything we'll ever face. Do I have authentic saving faith or do I not have it? I will either be destroyed or preserved based on that question. So then it's supremely important that we ask, what is faith? What does faith look like? Now, faith is one of those things that's really hard to define. All right, it's really hard to define. It's kind of like uh, trying to define what a color is to someone who's never seen a color. Like, have you ever thought about how you would describe a color to someone who's never seen a color? It's just one of those things, like, how do I describe that? It's like trying to define the word the. Give it a try later on today. Uh, It'll make your head explode. Something so simple that we use all the time that's hard to define. I actually read uh, an article this week about a book that was published in the 1990s. It's 400 pages long, and the premise of the book is that it's a collection of hundreds of years of of writing from philosophers throughout all the world, out, out of all the time, and their thoughts on the philosophy of left and right. Like, like literally, for centuries, philosophers have been 
have been working on this mind bender of how would you describe and define the concept of left and right to an alien from another planet who'd never thought of there being a left or right. That's a worthwhile use of your life, folks, right there, okay? But it's one of those things that's hard to define. Faith is one of those things. Faith is one of those things that's easier to describe than it is to define. And so when you look at Hebrews 11, what you see here is that there are a couple of verses here at the very beginning that give us a definition of faith, and then there are almost 40 verses left that give us descriptions of faith. And so we're going to talk this morning about those first couple verses. What is faith? Faith is. In your bulletin, it says faith is Titus Green. That's not true. That was a misprint. Um, never mind. You, you'll, you'll see it in a second. Faith, what is faith? Faith is. This morning, we're going to look at that. But I want you to know, we're going to be unpacking this for about two months Faith is this and this and this as we look through this passage of Scripture. With all of that said, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11 and let's consider what the author of Hebrews gives us as a definition of faith. And my goal is that this morning you would walk out having a clear understanding of what faith is, real faith, saving faith, persevering faith, faith that pleases God and blesses you. Look at Hebrews 11, verse one says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. That's why I use the words pleasing to God. They're commended because God is pleased and blessed. They're blessed because they receive a commendation of God. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Stop right there. These three verses, they're hard to understand in some ways. And so we're gonna take it like phrase by phrase this morning and just see what a, a definition, a working definition of biblical faith would be. So let's start with just the meaning of the word. That's the first two words here in, in, in verse one. Now faith is, that word faith literally means a belief based on the reliability of someone or something. A belief that you hold that's based on the reliability of someone or something. As a matter of fact, that concept of believing is so central to faith that when you look throughout the rest of the New Testament, you find this same word used as a verb. The word faith is used as a verb all throughout the New Testament. And most of the time, when it's a verb, it's not translated faith anymore, it's translated believe. Let me give you an example. John three sixteen. That word faith is a verb in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, whoever faiths in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, so the, 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 the core concept of what it is to have faith that pleases God, that blesses us, is to believe in the reliability of someone or something. And so the question that that evokes in my mind is, if faith is a belief in the reliability of someone or something, then what is Bible faith believing about someone or something? And, and let me give you the answer to that, okay? So there are two basic ideas of the truth we believe when we exercise faith. And here are the two ideas. We believe the truth about the person of God and we believe the truth about the promises 
of God. And let me show you that from this text. Look at chapter 11, verse six. Jump down to verse six. Without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder. He rewards those who seek him. Do you see those two concepts there? The two concepts are, are, are right there in that passage. Two basic truths that we believe, two basic areas of truth that we believe, that we place faith upon, are, 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 are the person and the promises of God. It says you must believe, verse six, you must believe that he exists. That's truth about the person of God. And you must believe that as God, he rewards those who seek him. That's a truth about the promise. He promises to reward those who come to him by faith. And so so you can start this definition of faith by saying this. Faith that pleases God and blesses us is faith that believes the truth about the person and promises of God. Let me give you another way to say that. Real faith believes God for who he really is and what he really says. Real faith believes God for who he really is and what he really says. That is the basis. That's the foundation for authentic saving faith. But but in a sense, there's more to understanding because if we're not careful, we'll think that belief is just mental assent to a group of facts about God, to a group of facts about Jesus. And many of you, if you know the Bible, you know that's not what the Bible is saying about faith. Faith certainly includes mental assent to those truths about God, but there's more to the concept of the fabric of faith than just mental assent. As a matter of fact, James chapter two is describing real faith versus all the the counterfeit faith that would exist. All of the, the charade that people may call faith. The real faith that pleases God and blesses us in James chapter two is being unpacked for us. And in that passage of scripture, verse 19 says this, even the demons believe and shudder. You guys know that. The demons of hell, the devil himself, mentally assents to certain truths about God. There's a belief that the demons don't deny that God exists. The enemy doesn't deny that God exists. The enemy may want you to deny that God exists, but the enemy believes, and that word believe there is actually the verb form for faith. There's a mental assent that isn't authentic, saving, persevering, pleasing faith in God. And so the author of Hebrews knows that, that there's more to the fabric of faith than just mental ascent. And so the, the, the author of Hebrews includes two explanations about the fabric of faith that help us understand what it actually means to have real, authentic faith. And those two explanations are here in verse one. Go back to verse one and just read this again and you'll see these two explanations that help us define even more clearly the kind of faith that pleases God and blesses us. The first phrase is this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the second phrase is this, the conviction of things not seen. Let's just unpack those two phrases really quickly. The first one, assurance of things of things hoped for, things hoped for. And let me give you a phrase that I, I want you to remember about this. Real faith enables you to live in the land of promise. 
Real faith enables you to live in the land of promise. I get that out of this phrase. Here's why I get it. When he says things hoped for, I take him to mean that we are looking forward to the fulfillment of the promises of God. The thing we hope for as God's people is we look forward to the fulfillment of God's promises in our life. And the Bible is filled with the promises of God. So think about last week. We looked at chapter 10, verse 14, and we saw that by the offering of Jesus, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that, that includes perfect forgiveness for all who will come to him in faith, perfect acceptance for all who will come to him in faith, perfectly forgiven, perfectly accepted by God. That's a promise. And we are trusting, hoping that that promise is fulfilled in us when we come to Jesus by faith. And the Bible, guys, is filled with promises like that that are true for us in Jesus. Promises like this. When you come to faith in Jesus, you are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. You have an eternal inheritance kept in heaven for you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the very guarantee by the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee that you will receive all that is yours in Jesus Christ. You have the promise that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You have the promise that God will cause all things to work together for the good of your life and the glory of God. You have the promise that God will make you more and more and more like Jesus, transformed into the very image of his son change from one image of glory into the next. You have the promise that God will never stop loving you and nothing will separate you from his love. You have the promise that he is coming again and he will receive you to himself that where he is there you will be also. Over and over and over again, the Bible's filled with promises that when you come to Christ by faith, this kind of faith, you are hoping for Not the wishful thinking, but the confident expectation that says, this is my hope. And so when he says, things hope for, I take him to mean the fulfillment of God's promises in our life. And the reason I say that faith enables you to live in the promised land or the land of promise is because that word assurance has a really cool meaning. The original word assurance was actually a word that was describing the title deed to a piece of property. Now, now you guys are familiar with a title deed, correct? For most of you, it's at a bank somewhere, right? They own it till you can get that last payment in. It's a title deed that gives someone the right to live on a piece of land, right? So a title deed, when your name is on it, gives you the legal right to set up camp and live day in and day out on that piece of property. Are you guys familiar with the concept? All right, the rest of you are asleep. Wake up. Here's the story. Let's imagine then, let's imagine that two, two guys fresh out of college decide they want to buy a house, live in it, kind of extend those college days, have fun. So they buy a house. Both of them put their names on the title deed when they signed those papers and it becomes, it becomes theirs. That gives both of them the right to live on that land, in that house. Their name is on the title deed. Well, let's just imagine that, that these guys had a tradition that every year they would watch the Super Bowl together, all right? They'd watch the Super Bowl together, and, and instead of watching the commercials, they would play a game during the commercials, okay? They, they would play a, a really cool game that, that at the end of it, the, 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 the guy who won the game got all of the leftovers for the rest of the week. Really, really great idea if you're looking for something to do tonight. Let's just imagine that something happened one year in those two friends' life. One of the friends 
was a lifelong Rams fan. And his team made it into the Super Bowl. And the other guy of questionable character was a lifelong Patriots fan. And so, no, just imagine with me. It's a stretch, I get it. Let's just imagine that they're watching that Super Bowl where the Rams are playing the Patriots and they're playing their game during the commercials. Well, during one of the commercials, the guy who's a Rams fan looks over and he sees what he believes to be the Patriots fan cheating at the game. And he gets mad. So he wants to throw the guy out of the house. He calls the cops. The cops show up, right? And you know, the cops probably already assume the guy did cheat because he is a Patriots fan after all. I'm making it up, guys. This isn't a true story. Settle down. So the cops show up. There's the, the Rams fan, the Patriots fan. The Rams fan wants the guy kicked off of the land. Get him out of here. I, don't, I got all these accusations against him. The cops, even if they may believe the guy is guilty, they don't have anything to act on. So they're not going to be able to kick him off the land. You know why? Because the Patriots always win. No matter how much. No, no, I'm just, I know. You know why? Because his name is on the title deed and even the law can't kick him out. You know why? Because the law gives him the right to live there. And and the author of Hebrews says, authentic faith that believes who God really is and what God really says That kind of faith is truly faith when it lays hold of the promises of God like a title deed and says, I'm gonna live here. So when the enemy of your soul comes and tries to kick you out of the land of promise, Genuine faith, real faith. It's not just mental assent. It's something that kicks into our heart, grabs hold of the promises and says, I belong here. Yes. And, 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 and the enemy may say, well, well, you didn't pay for it. And you say, that doesn't mean it's not paid for. Jesus paid it all. God the Father signed a covenant agreement and he sealed it with the blood of Jesus Christ and saving authentic faith says when it sees the promises of God that even when the enemy of your soul comes to kick you out of that land, faith grabs hold of the promise like a title deed and says, no, I'm not going anywhere and not even the law can kick me out because Jesus paid it all and he's agreed with me. I have every right to live here. That's saving faith. Faith is not just a belief that's a mental ascent. It's something that happens in our hearts when we see the promises of God, who he is, and we grab hold of it like a title deed. So real faith enables you to live in the land of promise. The second thing is this that we see in that next phrase, that real faith becomes convinced of things that it cannot see by looking at things it can. That, that phrase, the conviction of things not seen, is another interesting phrase. That word conviction is a word that would describe 
how a judge or a jury would become convinced about the truth concerning a defendant. You guys probably are familiar with that kind of language. A judge or a jury would sit through a trial and they would, they would become, over time, convinced of truth about the crime and this person in relationship to it. Now, it's not the same as firsthand knowledge. Those, those jury members, that judge, they weren't there. They don't have a firsthand knowledge of that thing, but over time they become convinced about that thing. And and the author of Hebrews is saying, that's also what faith is. Faith is becoming convinced beyond a reasonable doubt, not the same as having firsthand knowledge, but in a way that holds a conviction that it's true. So I'll tell you this, I am convinced there is a place called heaven, okay? I've, I've, I've never seen it. It definitely isn't Ohio. <laughs> I've seen that. No one wants to live there forever. That's why I moved without a job. And it ain't even Florida. I've never seen it, but I'm convinced it's real. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced there's a place called hell. I've never seen it. And I never will but I am convinced that it's real. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that there are angels and demons and a spiritual battle taking place all around us. And I've never seen it with my own two eyes a certain way, but I'm convinced that it is as real as anything I've ever seen with my two eyes. And somebody might say, I know about being convinced and I know about believing in a way that convinces you, but there are a lot of people who believe in things that, 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 that they cannot see and we don't call them people of faith, we call them people who are delusional. There are, there are adults who teach their kids that certain people exist who don't exist. I'm not gonna go there again, but... So what's the difference between faith and delusion? Well, I I left something out of the definition of that word conviction. Because it's not just a judge and a jury arbitrarily becoming convinced about something that they didn't see about a person who's sitting right there in front of them. That that word convinced or conviction, it, it literally means that a judge or jury would make up their mind based on convincing evidence that they see, that they hear, that they encounter. Real faith, guys, is not, it's not a blind leap into nothing. That there may be a world that would wanna convince us that Christianity is a delusional leap into an alternative reality. That's not what the Bible teaches us about faith. Faith is not blind leap. Faith is a step of certainty Uh, about things you cannot see that you make based on things you can see. So, So listen, while faith is a conviction about things you do not see, faith doesn't close its eyes to what you see. And there's actually something in verse three that gives us a clue as to what we look at. Where do we focus in order to build our faith? What is it that we're seeing that helps us understand what we don't see? Look at verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In that verse, there's a clear indicator 
a clue as to what we can see that gives us understanding based on faith about things we cannot see. And you might think I'm talking about creation. You might think I'm saying that the heavens declare the glory of God because Psalm 19.1 says that or that his, his majestic name is in all the earth. It's set above the heavens like we talked about two weeks ago in Psalm um, 8.1. But, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something underneath it. The, the author says this, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the very word of God. And, and we'll unpack this concept a little bit later, but I, I think it's interesting to see that faith undergirds understanding. It's not that understanding enables faith. I'm not saying that. But, but he says, by faith, we understand something based on, on evidence. And he's not just talking about creation. He says that the word of God was the power by which the world was created. How would they understand that? They weren't there. And neither were you. Were you? I'm not calling you old. I'm just asking if you were there. No, none of us have firsthand knowledge concerning that. How would they understand that the universe was created by the word of God? Because something they they do see tells them that. The very word of God. Genesis 1, 1 tells us that in the beginning, God, by speaking powerful words created, all that exists. The word of God tells us universe was created by the very power of God's word. And the word of God tells us that. So the word of God is where we look when we desire to build our faith. It's where we go when we desire to be convinced about things that we cannot see. And that's not turning a blind eye to all of creation. That's assimilating and understanding creation in light of what we see in God's word. You guys can write this reference down. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's the very word of Christ contained throughout the scriptures, the holy Bible that empowers faith to be unleashed in our life. We were meeting this week praying about this morning, a group of us got together like we do each week and we were just praying over this passage of scripture and Pastor Mark said something that stuck out to me. I, I just loved it. Uh, we were talking about the role of the word of God in building our faith. And he said, the Bible is like a, a nuclear power plant for our faith. It's like a, a faith factory. It creates and sustains and builds faith in us. And just think about the fact that what we do not see is given to us by the truth of what God says. I know about the things I cannot see because I encounter the truth about them in what God says. The, the, the person of God, when we talked about faith in the person of who God is, is most clearly revealed in the Bible. The promises that God has made and what he said is most clearly Revealed in the Bible. Faith enables you to live in the land of promise and you find those promises in the Bible. And so here's what this means. And this will be sort of our working definition of faith as we move into the descriptions next week. But real faith believes God for who he really is and what he really says in his word, the Bible. In his word, the Bible. So if you want your faith to grow, If you want to grow in a conviction about things you cannot see, look to something that you can. The the very word 
of God. You'll see him here. You'll see his promises here. You will see the things to hope for here. If you want to grow in your faith, then go to God in his word, the Bible. And some of you may ask like, so, so what's that look like in real life? I mean, that sounds good. That's a nice kind of churchy language, but what's that actually look like? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to spend the next eight weeks looking at about 20 stories and the rest of this chapter that tell us what it looks like. But for this moment, I just want to, I want to share with you what it looks like in my life. Is that okay? It doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyhow. So, so faith, real faith is believing God for who he really is and what he really says in his word, the Bible. And, and then it, it means that you take hold of the promises of God like a title deed. And you say, I, I belong here because of Jesus. He made a, an agreement with me. And, and so what happens is, is most mornings I wake up. I guess every morning I've woken up eventually. But <laughs> I wake up and I have this anxiety in me. I've shared that with you a lot on Sunday mornings. Wake up, have this anxiety. I've got to talk to a bunch of people. And you got to meet them. They're crazy. You never know what they're going to do. I've got to talk to a bunch of people and, and, I, and I'm nervous about it. <laughs> I mean, you, you would be too, I think. And, and so I, I started thinking these thoughts like, what, what, what if it isn't good? Or what, what, if, what if you say something stupid again? What, what if you don't do it right? And, and what, do I, what do I do? What do I do in those moments? I find the enemy coming and he's trying to push me out of this land of promise. So here, here's, what, here's what I do. I laid hold of the, of the truth of who God is and what he says. And so I think this in those moments when I'm standing here and I'm, I'm getting ready to, to, to preach and I'm thinking about what I'm going to say and I'm praising God and the enemy comes to push me out of that land of promises. Man, man you just, you're weak. You're weak. You're weak and you're foolish and you can't deny it. I say, I know I can't deny it, but then I think, but 1 Corinthians chapter one says that you've chosen the weak and foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And then chapter two, you say that, that, that Paul didn't come in, in lofty words of human wisdom or in, in, in persuasive speech so that the cross wouldn't be emptied of his power because he came proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's in the foolishness of what you preach that you declare that you're glorious. And so yeah, I'm foolish. That makes me a perfect candidate for this. I belong here. Yes, I'm weak. And you've promised that in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, you will make your strength perfected in my weakness. Of course I'm weak. It's what qualifies me. I believe you, God. And I believe that the power isn't in my my ability to say it all right. You, you said, God, in Isaiah 55, 11, that the word that proceeds from your mouth will accomplish all of your purposes and it will not return to you empty. And so God, I'm just going to say what you've said in your word. I'm going I'm to seek that. Every word of mine will fall to the ground, but yours will endure forever because the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God, your word, God, it endures forever. If you ever wonder what I'm doing over there, that's what I'm doing the whole time. That's why I can't clap and sing at the same time. I've got other things going on. I'm going to step out, right? So that first step is a step, literally, of faith, saying, I, I can't do this, but you have said that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. It's worthwhile. It's like seed planted that will spring forth bring fruit in its season and our leaves will not wither and whatever we do will prosper. Live 
by faith in the promises of who God is and what he said in his word. Monday morning, I wake up. And the enemy say, get out of this land of promise. You stunk yesterday. Nobody wants to see you. I say, I know. You've promised that I'm accepted and loved because of Jesus and not my performance. You've promised this and I believe this, God. I believe that it's true. So I get out of bed. And listen, I got to tell you, that's all I ever know to do in life. Yes. The only way that I know to live is like that or defeated and discouraged or distracted thinking about things that do not matter. So if you desire to grow in your faith, go to the word and look at who God is and what he said. Because real faith believes God for who he really is and what he really says in his word, the Bible. And that means your time in the word is not empty religious exercise. That means your time in the word is faith building exercise. It's where you encounter him and it's where he makes his promises to you. So would you bow your heads with me? And I just want to conclude in this way. First, I want to ask, have you ever come to Jesus in faith, believing who he is, believing that he is God in the flesh and that he lived a perfect life, the life you, you haven't lived and can't live, that he died a sacrificial death as a payment for your sin that he rose again three days later. Have you come to Jesus for who he is? Believing him for what he promises. And he promises you forgiveness, eternal life, acceptance, resurrection power. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you right now, would you call on Jesus? Come to him believing who he is, claiming it by faith. Close of our service, our pastors will be down front. We'd love to pray with you about your relationship with Christ. But I know many of you would say, I am trusting in Jesus as Savior, but I feel like I keep getting kicked off the land of promise. I just want to ask you right now, what promises are God, is God calling you to believe? Don't live in your problems. Live in his promises. What, what promises is God calling you to believe? About your marriage, about your family, about your future or your past. And maybe some of you'd say, I, I'd love to have promises, but I'm not quite sure to go to his word. Would you endeavor this week to encounter God in his word? Spend time alone with him each day and say, God, would you show me who you are? Would you tell me what you've promised? And then lay hold of that by faith. Father, we thank you for the work that you do in us through Jesus. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness to us. Father, we thank you that you allow faith to grow in us. Not because we're the smartest. Not because we're the most perceptive. Not because we have a really high reading comprehension. But because by your grace and your mercy, you open our eyes. You let us see. And you let us see the truth of who you are in your word so that we can become convinced about things we can't, cannot see. So Lord, I pray that you cause faith to grow among us. Stir our hearts as individuals and as a church to believe you, to take you to your word, to respond with worship and praise, obedience and faith. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.